So this is Paul Nobles from Ether Perform again. You are seeing Nose Torque with Paul and Chris. And this is the first episode of Nose Torque with Paul and Chris. And so Chris Dietz is the Ether Perform coach. And we're going to use this opportunity to talk to basically Quick Start. You know, actually, I had already started this podcast but I forgot to hit record, so I'm not going to make all the deform customers that are currently listening to us and wanting to ask us questions. I'm not going to have them go through the spiel that we went through. But basically, they are all members. They are all Quick Start members. And Quick Start is a um, service that we provide customers that allows them to kind of get up to speed a little bit quicker. And it's a little bit... Uh, more expensive than the basic membership, but most people find it to be somewhat useful. I don't know if you guys are hearing my dog barking in the background, but um, the, this is a set, you know, just so you guys know, Nose Torque with Paul and Chris is going to be fairly casual. My family is upstairs. Um, that's just kind of the way that this is going to go. You know, I think one of the things that happens with this type of stuff is when you focus way too much on you know quality of broadcast and things like that like no good things happen you know and you figure out all these ways to make it really difficult to do things and then when you make it difficult you don't end up doing it and I think people would benefit more from doing it so Chris <laughs> why don't you say hi to everybody and then we'll kind of get rolling morning everybody Oh, pretty excited to do these, um, especially when we're talking about training. Yeah, I mean, the the programming and training group for Eat to Perform is a public group. You guys can join it whenever you want. Um, it's a great resource. It also, you know, if you want to ask a, a basic nutrition question and you're not an Eat to Perform member, it's also set up for that. But in general, you know, we're trying to show people that, you know, some level of work volume makes a, a big difference. So right now, Chris, you are training for a powerlifting meet. Is that correct? That's correct. February 20th. So can you talk a little bit about, because I know right now, you know, the way that, you know, most lifters kind of work is they will allow for some weight gain so they can get stronger throughout the process and then maybe taper down kind of getting closer to the meat. Can you talk a little bit about how that's going for you and, and some of the things that you've noticed? Uh, yeah, as far as the nutrition goes, I did. I was, I spent a bunch of time doing more of what you would call bulk, um, putting on some weight so that I could move. I could work on that top end strength um, because I'm a lot, I can move more weight the heavier I am, you know, to, to a degree. Um, so I was trying to get as close to about 240 pounds as I could. I ended up roughly around 238, um, which was pretty good for me. And then in the last month or so, I started tapering that down. Um, I went I went through a maintenance phase first, and then I started tapering down um, to get back down closer to 220, which is where I would like to be for my meat. Um, and I'm almost there. Uh, so now I'm just trying to maintain my weight and um, even start to increase my calories back up a little bit back to my maintenance level because um, I'm a little bit below that right now going so, into the meat so that I'm not depleted. 
how low, I mean, like how much spread? Because you basically got, what, a 24-hour weigh-in? Yeah, uh, for the weigh-in, it's the morning off, so I don't, I can't really do like a, oh, wow. a water cut and then replenish. Yeah, the, the USAPL does the day off. Um, Interesting. Although I did, I did just sign up for the USPA, which I think does it with 24-hour weigh-in, so I would be able to do like a water cut or something like that. But, right. Um, you know, I, I don't want to go into the meat being that depleted from trying to do a water cut when I have only a couple hours to try to replenish versus, you know, 24 hours. One of the things that's sort of interesting, you know, and it, it's sort of, you know, one of these things that always comes up whenever we're talking about training because, you know, um, it's, it's just prevalent in sports in general is performance enhancing drugs, right? And uh, boxers, as an example, they used to do like these big, huge water cuts because they'd have 24-hour weigh-ins and... Um, now boxing has sort of gone to the point where they'll stay around the weight the good majority of the time. Now they they do typically still carbohydrate up. It was sort of it was sort of funny. I was listening to a um, a podcast with uh, Freddie Roach. It was either Freddie Roach or Teddy Atlas, and he was just talking about how you know fighters used to you know they would leave those weigh-ins. And they would go eat a steak, you know. And he's like, now, you know, basically they just like IV them up with carbs. And uh, so, so you know, a lot of times you'll see those guys and they're really kind of dry and dehydrated on those weigh-ins. And then you see them the very next day. I mean, probably the best example of this, you know, and I'm not saying that boxers are necessarily using performance-enhancing drugs, but... You know, I, I do believe that that is um, pretty uh, rampant in that sport. And, uh, but, you know, one of the best examples of someone that is able to kind of dry out and then rehydrate is Google Timothy Bradley um, from 2011 and then Google Timothy Bradley right now. I mean, the dude looks like a tank. You know, and when he rehydrates up, I mean, he's just ripped, <laughs> you know. Um, and so, you know, uh, but, a lot, but a lot of them, you know, if, if they compete 148, I mean, they're going to stay right around 148. They don't do like huge weight cuts because, you know, what they've started to find is that it just hurts their performance too much. And they have to, you know, they, you know, rely on just natural ability too much um and so that's kind of interesting you know when you juxtapose that you know one meat against another meat and you know what the potential of it is my my suspicion is that the majority of your training should be around the weight that you are going to compete in but if you have a 24-hour weigh-in then you would carbohydrate up and then, you know, like, for instance, let's say that you were at a USAPL meet, you would obviously want to stay very close to 220 because you want to be able to be as strong as possible and you only have a two-hour weigh-in, right? Is it two hours? Roughly. Yeah. The weigh-ins start, weigh start at like 8 a.m. and then lifting starts between 9 and 10 usually. Yeah. And so so you've got basically a two-hour two hour break, so you're obviously going to want to be 
um, as close to the weight as possible. But in the other meat where you would want to stay close to 220, you would want to kind of try and walk into that meat at about 228, 230, right? You know, you want to carbohydrate up as, as much as possible. And some of the, some of the, um, well, like in California, as an example, they have IV treatments. And so, you know, lifters can go and get IV treatments. Um, so, you know, they're, you know, got enough available energy so they can perform better at the meet. And so, uh, but, you know, you also hit on something that was sort of interesting. The idea that if you weigh more, you lift more. Um, like, isn't that like the most ultimate duh that I think the good majority of people don't think about? Right? Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, as your weight, I mean, cause your weight has, has sort of gone up and you've kind of leaned out in that process. Um, but as someone whose weight has gone um, up and down, right? You know, when I was 185, maybe 189, you know, for the meat, um, you know, obviously I could lift more. But, you know, now being 175, my lifts are as good, you know, if not better in some instances than I was at 185, 189. Well, why is that? Well, one, you did train your central nervous system to kind of deal with that beating. And that's a little bit of, of it. Um, but, you know, if you, if you asked me, you know, I think the good majority of people spend a lot of time trying to stay in weight classes and have no business doing so. You know, like if you're not going for a record, you know, um, something like that, you know, and you're two pounds over, you know, it wouldn't be like the biggest deal if you didn't make weight, right? And, you know, if you're, you know, the 231st best 100, you know, and 81 pound power lifter in the world, right? Like it wouldn't make that big of a deal. I think people stress about that kind of stuff. And, and I get why they do, right? They, they want to do it because they want to have some parameters for health so they kind of stay within you know those um uh those weight limits but i think at at a certain point it gets to be a little a little unhealthy so what's your volume been like can you talk a little bit about what what how things have gone and then you know what you're doing now and how you're going to um, kind of change your training as you get closer to the meet sure um at the beginning of my cycle um, I, I roughly 12 weeks is kind of how I do it, but the first four weeks were really high volume. I'm doing, you know, um, medium rep, medium weight, uh, in terms of what kind of weights I'm using. It's like 70 to 85% is the bulk of what I was lifting, but I'm doing higher reps, like eight tens and twelves. Um, my assistance work is all twelves and fifteens. Um, so I, I get a huge amount of volume at the beginning. And as I move into the next, you know, weeks five through eight, um, the volume comes down just a little bit and the intensity ramps up a little bit. 
And then now as I'm peak going into my peaking, it's going to shift even more. So I'm working more into like 90% and above, but much lower reps, much lower volume, um, because that fatigue that I've accumulated from all the volume can mask what my actual strength is. So I'm trying to minimize that um, so I can show what my actual strength is as my body recovers. Um, another way I'm doing that is by removing a training day from my week. So I went from five days a week. Now I'm only doing four to allow more recovery um, and more adaptation in those rest days. I mean, what are your calories at right now? Right now, about 3,000 on a training day. Um, and then about 2,600 on a rest. But that's going to be going up a little bit more as I start getting closer to the meet. Because I, like I said earlier, I don't want to go in depleted. Right. Um, I want to make sure I'm at the top of my game when I get there. Well, and it, it's sort of interesting because what I want to do is sort of um, talk about, you know, Chris's training, but I also want to talk a little bit about my training and how the two, um, you know, either can complement each other, be accessories to one thing. I mean, one of the things that we're trying to do with this programming and training group is we want people to understand that you know, you, it, I think what happens is, is you're a runner, you're a crossfitter, you're a power lifter, you know, whatever it is you do. If you have, you know, want to have a varied way of thinking of it, um, it's probably a little bit better. As an example, I'm 175 pounds and I eat more than Chris. Why? Well, my volume's higher, you know. And so, you know, I'm sure, you know, Chris will be a little envious of that at times. I'm obviously envious of the fact that he's much stronger than me, you know. Um, but I think it's sort of interesting that, you know, to regular people that, you know, a 230-pound man, well, I don't know, what did you say you weigh? Right now I'm at 224. Yeah. So 224 can actually eat less than someone that's, you know, 175. Um, but he can't do what I can do um, from a standpoint of just wrecking himself going into these events, right? He's got to kind of keep, you know, his calorie balance in a way that respects, you know, one, you know, his, 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 I mean, you're pretty competitive in your your weight range for raw, right? Yep. I mean, in terms of like stats, you're you. Have you seen any movement up the ladder? I, I believe so. Um, just because of, I mean, my my squats up almost seventy pounds. Um, my deadlifts up thirty pounds. My bench has gone up about thirty pounds as well. Um, right. But I've been mostly focusing on my squat the last this last round. So that, that's the one that I wanted to see go up significantly. Yeah. Um, so I'm expecting to finish higher than I did the last meet. Gotcha. And la you, your last meet, your numbers were what? I did 435 squat, 320 bench, and 512 for my deadlift. Those should all go up this meet. Okay. I'm, 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 I'm looking about 500, 350, 550 is what I'm shooting for. Yeah. I mean, which is, is nuts, you know I mean? When you start to get to the like 500 pound numbers, um, cause when, when we lifted together for the E to form open, um, 
it was, it was pretty obvious that you had already seen improvements, um, but your weight was a little bit higher at that point too, right? Yep, because I was just coming off a bulk cycle. So I, I was up over 230 at that point. That, that's the only reason I'm trying to get closer to 220 so I can accurately gauge because that's where I was for the first meet. Um, I'm not so worried about what weight class I'm in right now, but um, I want to make sure that my numbers are comparable. So I can't take what I lift at 230 something and compare it to what I was able to do at 220 in this short of a time period. So. so one of the things that I want to do, because I think that this is all very interesting to people, is talk about, you know, we've been doing these daily challenges and the cha the daily challenges sort of happened as a result of me trying to get in volume, but also, uh, you know, my, my work schedule was a little tough at that time and I was training for a competition, a competition that was ultimately snowed out in North Carolina. But, um, what I started doing was I was reading this book called um, Living with the Navy Seal. And in the book, the guy was training for um, one of these desert ultra marathons. And so, uh, but it was, it's sort of hard to do with his schedule. And so he asked this Navy Seal who runs these ultra marathons to kind of help him. And that really clicked for me because that was sort of the way that I had approached volume at another point in my journey. And it was always easy to do. It was always easy to get in that kind of volume. And so what's been interesting is whether it's a thousand lunges, whether it be 300 chin-ups or, you know, whatever it is, you know, one of the things I really liked in the book was the fact that they broke up running. You know, um, I actually just got back from a four mile run and my plan later today is either to do a ruck or run. I'm not really sure about the, the run thing because it was really sort of a run skate thing because, you know, here I live in Minnesota and, you know, it's a nice day out and the sun is out. But what the sun is doing is basically getting that first layer of snow off. And so there was definitely patches of ice and I needed to be. A little bit careful of that but we'll you know one of the things that people are are, are interested with these daily challenges is that we're always going to do some level of running and it's not going to be you know 400 meter sprints three times I mean it's going to be you know some volume right and you know the basic idea whether it's for Chris's goals or whether it for for my goals, and you go, well, what are your goals, Paul? Well, my goals look good naked. I mean, I don't have any other goals than that. I mean, in terms of like deadlifting, I would like to see my deadlift um, get, you know, to. I'd like to hit that 500 number. Um, I just do have like freakish ability with deadlifts um, for my size. I don't have the same ability with squats. Um, and I don't have the same ability with, uh, with bench press. Um, right now, my multiplier is at 500. Multipliers you know, aren't always great predictors of end strength, but um, I have been able to sort of keep my, even with this high volume, keep my numbers sort of going up. 
And right now I'm kind of doing something similar to Chris when he first starts off where um, I'll do like sets of tens, eights, and fives. And, um, you know, as long as I'm, it's not, you know, there gets to a point with tens, eights, and fives that, you know, it, it starts to feel unsafe and then the weights start to move too slow. And if that's the case, then it might be a good time to vary. But that has not been the case actually up to this point for me. So, you know, as long as I'm continuing to get stronger. And I think this other this other volume is, is sort of helping, right? Because I can do massive amounts of rows. I can do dips. I can do a lot of things that are working my lats. Um, obviously, as your quads get stronger, that's going to help a little bit. Um, and, and so those types of things end up being a plus. But I think, you know, like today we have a running challenge. And like I said, you know, I ran four miles um, this morning and I'm either going to run or do kind of uh, a ruck later on today, um, depending on what, you know, is, is available. And the nice thing about these challenges is that you can take any of these challenges and then you can use them. Um, and, and once again, you know, this is fully available to anybody listening to this podcast right now. If you're looking for training ideas, we do a daily challenge. Um, Chris posts his videos in there. Um, Sam's posting videos. We're going to try and convince, you know, um, some of the ladies to join us, right? We're, we're probably going to, to invite some of the gals because I, I don't want it to become like this huge sausage fest, you know, where just guys are, you know, dungeon and, and, and chains and bands and all this other stuff. I want it to, I want it to be something where runners feel welcome too, because I'm a runner, you know, and, and I believe in some level of heart health as it relates to kind of recovery I know for myself, I think one of the reasons why my deadlift is continuing to go up is because my recovery is really good. You know, what people will often ask me, how can you do a thousand lunges and not and be able to walk the next day? Well, one, I'm comfortable with that kind of volume. But two, a lot of the times you'll see that I'll program some running the next day or hiking the next day or something. You know, that sort of kind of gets that uh, muscle soreness out and then ready for more volume. And what I'm really liking about this group and, and you know, this group is sort of evolving. I think six months from now, you're going to be like, wow, you know, when they were talking about that, you know, um, it wasn't super, super active. Right now, a lot of the people that are posting training videos in, in, in our off-topic group, you know, hopefully we're going to get them moved over there. And so we create like this, you know, kind of culture. But if you're a gym owner, as an example, and your members um, are in this training group, we're not trying to teach your gym members, you know, this is the way. We're trying to teach your gym members, here's how you can supplement your CrossFit, your powerlifting, your martial arts training, so you can get better at those things, you know, and also see fat loss, right? Because, you know, at the end of the day, that's an important aspect for a lot of your clients. And so I think if your clients are in a training and programming group, 
don't view it as something where we're trying to trump whatever it is that you are saying. We probably agree with the majority of the way that you would program stuff. Um, but there are some things that you can do from a fat loss perspective that would make a difference. You know, for instance, if runners could add in some level of resistance training. That was what was interesting about like this, because um, I watched that and then I watched another documentary called Desert Runners. And what was interesting about desert runners was these people were running in the desert and it was amazing how much cardio they were doing. Yeah, I mean, not cardio, uh, resistance training they were doing just to get their body stronger and, and able to, you know, kind of take the beating. We do have one question. Let's see. Um, Paulo saying, hi, guys. I assume by adding that kind of volume, pretty much increasing your neat, right, Paul? does make a difference what you do throughout the day than just a couple hours working out hence the different daily calories between you both yeah I mean I think I'm probably naturally a little bit more um, you know antsy compared to Chris right I mean you can sort of see you know he's like chilled out and I'm like you know all over the place um, so you know that does show up in my real life you know, I'm, I'm, you know, when I'm on the phone, I'm like pacing around and, and things of that nature. So, you know, the way that I design my volume is the way that my life wants to work. You know, Chris designs his volume the way his life wants to work. Um, I mean, do you have any thoughts on that, Chris? first like these calls are about as still as i see you ever sit like when we're on our own private conferences you're walking around the house with your laptop so um you, you definitely move more than i do in a typical day um but yeah uh I get I get some activity because you know I got the two little kids that I'm chasing around or I'm walking them to the park or doing stuff like that so I get my need in there but as far as my training goes like it's a lot easier for me to fit all the volume especially for my goals and do the barbell you see behind me rather than to do the kind of stuff you're doing right now like for me to add those challenges in that would be more something I would do at the in the off season um just for general health like you said uh general health look look better naked get some volume in things like that um but for my specific goal right now I can't really do those things and fit them in appropriately I guess is the best way for me to put it yeah, when when I was on the run, I made a short video that I'm gonna pop up on the on the page. It was kind of funny. I don't know if anybody else listens to other podcasts, but one of the podcasts that I've been listening to lately is the Bill Burkhart podcast. And he's a comedian and pretty popular. If you don't know who he is, he's really funny. Um, especially, he I think he probably appeals to guys more than he does women. Um, which actually the you know. Let me, let me just write something down and we'll talk about that a little bit too because um, I think that's going to be interesting. But what he was talking about was Viagra and how Viagra, um, you know, came about. You know, they were studying this one thing and then all of a sudden people were like, hey, you know, my penis is hard all the time. Um and so then they, they sort of figured out that, that this pill had multiple uses and uh, not, not the uses they were intending the study to be for. 
What I was saying, though, is that if you have a, a healthy heart, if you have, you know, a certain amount of muscle on your frame, the thing, you know, the, one of the reasons why we, we ask runners to have some level of resistance is because we want their um, testosterone and recovery levels to be higher, you know. And if you're not asking your body to do that stuff, you're basically in down, down, down mode all the time. And then you just you're just down regulating, you know, your hormones. And so having some level of kind of keeping your hormones, you know, moving in a positive direction uh, is something that that we believe in fairly strongly. And what I was saying, kind of the whole point of the this series of videos is that as a parent, if you're physically capable um, and eat a, eat a you know an adequate amount for what you do, not only does it set a good example for your kids, but you know the point of the video that I was making was that the best gift that I give my children on a daily basis is that I find my wife attractive and I love my wife, right? And I think a big part of the issues that we have as a society is that we often focus on work or, or you know, dieting in a lot of cases where we're sort of like focusing on kind of the wrong things and not allowing, you know, our relationships to flourish. And my, my daughters know that, you know, I don't have sons, I have two daughters, uh, but my daughters know that I am very attracted to their mother, you know, not in like a gross way, you know, but definitely in a way that, you know, makes them smile, you know, they're happy to know that dad loves mom, you know, that's, that's kind of a, it makes them feel safe, you know, and I feel like when, you know, as speaking as a man, you know, when I was physically incapable, right, you know, I felt less than a man, you know, I'm, I'm just being straight up honest about that, you know, and, you know, when you're having sex and you can't breathe, you know, I mean, like I used to joke that sex was like a Tabata <laughs> before I ever even knew what Tabatas were, you know, um, and, you know, that's not, that's not, you know, something, you know, my wife was, you know, th that's how I know she really loved me because she loved me when um, I wasn't, you know, physically capable and I wasn't a man, you know, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm just being honest with you about that. You know, I mean, if people, t if, if that bothers people, I'm talking about myself, I'm not talking about you. But if you're internalizing it as you, you might want to think about that. Right. Because, you know, I mean, this is some basic gorilla type shit right here. You know what I mean? Like, can you protect yours? You know, and, you know, I'll tell you, I did not feel like I could protect my family if they were in harm's way. And I mean, I don't know if I can protect my family right now, but I know, you know, that I could go a lot harder than I used to be able to go. I mean, I, the mentality was there, 
you know, even when I was physically incapable, the approach just wasn't great because obviously, you know, I was always focused on, you know, the amount of fat that I had on my body and I wasn't focused on being physically capable. But, you know, when we're talking about these training ideas and meets and CrossFit competitions, I mean, one thing that, you know, if you don't know, um, Chris is a power lifter, like never CrossFits at all. And was able to compete in a CrossFit competition with me and one of the other staff, um, one of the other coaches on each form staff. And so, you know, I think there's not a lot of powerlifters that could do that, truthfully. Um, and and that speaks to his level of athleticism and also sort of making his health a priority because, you know, like he was talking about earlier, I mean yeah you know if you were 300 pounds you could lift a lot more weight but what's the health equation there you know um and so you have any thoughts about that because i know i know you know obviously you you have two young children um and you know three years ago you were smoking and you know kind of had a life that was a little different i mean your pictures are amazingly different i mean i i know like you're into like the silverback idea you know i've been using lions lately you know as kind of examples but i mean do you feel that i mean like do you feel like more of a man because you know i think that's an interesting idea Definitely. Um, and, that, and that's ultimately what spurred um, this journey. <laughs> um, when I started, it was basically the same concept you were talking about, is that I was tired all the time. I, I was smoking a pack and a half, almost two packs a day. Um, I was really out of shape. Like I had a newborn son. Um, he was, well, he was two at the time now. Um, at the time then he was two and now he's six. But, um, and I, I just on my living room floor, I was getting tired and winded, like just wrestling with a two-year-old. Like, how was I going to handle that if somebody were to break in my house or threaten my wife or my son? Um, I did not feel that I could, that I was strong enough or capable enough to be able to do that. Um, and th that's kind of where things started to roll is I needed to be my former self because in my 20s, I was stronger and I was, you know, I had some muscle and some capability because I was a semi-pro skateboarder at the time. So I was skating for, you know, six, eight hours a day. Um, and I, I had a level of leanness and uh, cardiovascular health and things like that, that I did not have anymore um, due to the smoking and overeating and things like that. But um, as I've become stronger, I've also um, become more capable and like you were talking about with the CrossFit, part of my training over that time has been to maintain a level of athleticism, not just get big and strong, but I, I do want to maintain some aesthetic qualities. Um, so I want to drill. I want to drill in on something that you said because you said okay. overeating, and you know, obviously, you're someone that you know. Even a lot of people listening to this and going three thousand you know, that's going to seem like a lot of calories to them. And they would probably think to themselves, wow, at 3,000, I would be overeating. What happened 
you know, I mean, first of all, I, I'd be interested to know if you think you were eating more than 3,000 calories. Sound like you probably were. Um, but certainly at times you've eaten a fair amount of calories. What happened when you started lifting weights? In terms of your the, body uh, composition, oops. the way that your body changed. When I first started, um, I was definitely eating. If, if I wasn't what I'm eating now, I was eating quite a bit more because I'm thinking in terms of like, there were meals where I was eating, you know, two, two platefuls of what I eat now versus, you know, like instead of one yeah. pork chop, I would have two with two servings of rice plus vegetables plus bread plus dessert and all this other stuff. And I wasn't lifting and I wasn't exercising. So like in terms of that, it, it's kind of a relative it's relative to what my activity level is because I could eat that now and I, I would get stronger and I would put on some muscle and things like that. But, um, to get back to the point, um, when I started lifting weight, um, I started seeing some body comp changes pretty quickly and some strength gains started happening. Um, and then I started to look into it more and, and this is the start of what eventually led me to ETP was that I started cutting calories out. Um, and I saw positive changes and then those changes became more negative, the further and further and further and further I cut, um, which is how I got down. Like I said in before, I, at one point I was down to 1600 calories a day as a 230 pound guy trying to lift weights and trying to run and do all this other stuff and hill sprints and anything I could to get leaner. And it wasn't going to happen. Um, and my body fat started going back the other way again. And that's what led me to ETP and to, to figure things out in a smarter way. So to try and to try and you know truncate that down a little bit, there is always some level of calorie balance that needs to happen, and I think that that's what Chris described there. But one of the things that we used to say that was really super popular that we haven't really talked about in a while, but what used to make you fat when you were eating the way that you were makes you jacked when you start weightlifting, right? Yep. And so what you're basically doing, you know, like one of the things that I think, you know, if, if you had been paying maybe a little bit more attention and, and at that time you probably weren't, luckily I was, when I started weightlifting, because a lot of my, you know, a lot of my stuff was cardio early on and, you know, I just kind of got that, you know, I was holding on to fat because, you know, I was dealing with, you know, some muscle atrophy because of all the, you know, breaking down of, of lean tissue and not really kind of working towards upregulation and, and keeping the lean tissue. So that's where I, you know, figured out real quickly that I needed to have some, some weightlifting. And that scared the shit out of me because I had never weightlifted since I was, you know, in seventh grade. And I was scared. I thought I was going to get hurt, all these different types of things. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'll knock on wood, but, but I've not been hurt, you know, in, in eight years. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I think part of that is because I've been able to take a relatively smart approach, but, you know, there's obviously pictures all over the internet of me with my shirt off. Um, and, you know, I went from 21% to 9% in six months by gaining 15 pounds of muscle. 
And when I first started lifting weights, my calories went up to 4,000 calories a day. And then by the time that my weight started settling in at about 165, um, I had to go back down to 3,000 calories because my weight had adjusted, you know, gave me the lean mass and things of this nature. But, you know, I had to sort of find calorie balance. You know, you can get away with eating a little bit more early on as you're kind of dealing with kind of what is the low-hanging fruit. You know, if you've had dormant muscles for a long period of time. And I know, you know, here's two guys talking about this stuff. This also applies to women. This is not, you know, just dudes, right? Um, and, you know, I know a lot of women are going to to listen to this. And so I want to make sure that, you know, it, it's sort of understood. But we'll, we'll, have, we'll have women on. Um, I know Jen Patterson on, on the staff. Catherine Adams does this with us, and well, she's pretty jacked. Um, we could have Anna on, which would be kind of cool. Um, Anna is um, one of the sponsored athletes for um, Eat to Perform. Um, what's cool about Anna is that she's vegan. Um, she works out every day with Catherine's Dav Catherine Davis' daughter and, and um, Annie Thor's daughter. So, um, so she'd be kind of an interesting person to talk to. But yeah, you do have to sort of keep that in mind that you can sort of get away with a little bit more food early on. You know, if you're finding yourself starving because you just started lifting weights, it's your body's signal that, hey, it's metabolism time. Let's eat, you know, so we can kind of foster this adaptation. Um, any thoughts on that, Chris? I mean, obviously, this is, you know, coming to an end and I wanted to talk about another topic, but I wanted to make sure that you're... Um, your points were covered. Uh, that, that's pretty much it. Is it's you know your, your calories are relative to your activity level and where you're at. Like when before I started lifting, I could not eat the same amount of calories I eat now, even though my weight is the same, and expect to maintain this level of leanness. I, it would at that time that would mean that I was in a surplus. Now I'm probably in maintenance or even a deficit at those exact same calorie levels because yeah. my activity because my lean mass has gone up because I'm more capable even than me. So. Well, and one of the mistakes that I think a lot of people make is, you know, they they have a, a cardio approach, right? They're they're just focused on the destination all the time, right? And that destination is fat loss. And so when we say, you know, you should lift weights and they were running, you know, 42 miles a week and now they start lifting weights, you know, I don't think that that's the best approach for most people. I think like trying some level of moderation where, you know, I mean, I had a woman say to me one time and she's like, it's just so horrible that I can't run. You know, I, I, I find that I love running. I was like, who, who in the world told you you couldn't run? She said, well, you told me to start lifting weights. I said, I didn't say stop running, you know, but, but. The problem is, is that this really rigid approach is sort of negatively affecting people. And they think that that's, you know, you know, um, I got to cut out all this and I got to quit doing that. And it's like, no, you know, you can find kind of a, a middle ground. The other thing that I thought was sort of interesting um, this week is I watched a uh, Whitney Cummings 
um, who she had kind of an HBO special. And I think she is hilarious. And um, what, what's interesting about, about women in general is that they're vastly different, you know, um, in the Midwest compared to New York, compared to California, compared to Alabama, right? And what was really interesting about like watching this Whitney Cummings thing was that as she was talking about this, I was thinking to myself, I wonder if it's occurring to her that she is talking about Los Angeles women, right? That are, that live in an area where there's 15 million women, right? And what was interesting about it was how it affected her, you know, and, and granted she's a comedian and it was funny and, and, and this and that, but she was talking about how men don't like strong women and, you know, and, and that was just sort of a, like a blanket statement, you know, that, that women or men like weak women um, and tend to gravitate to younger women because, you know, they, you know, um, they're not fully matured at that point. Um, at least this was her opinion. And I just couldn't agree with, I couldn't disagree with that more. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that there aren't men that do that. Right. And that's certainly the stereotype, but it's not the stereotype you need to perform. You know, I mean, most of the guys, you know, are around women that lift weights and do active things that run really far, you know, and all this other type of stuff. And most of that, you know, is going to be fairly positive as it relates to your self-esteem. What Whitney Cummings was ultimately saying was, is that now in her 30s, you know, she owns shit, <laughs> right? And, and she is confident and she has self-esteem and she was really struggling finding you know men that weren't intimidated by that i'm not intimidated by that <laughs> you know my wife you know i mean that was that was one of the things that made me stay in minnesota um minnesota is filled with strong capable women, you know, with high self-esteems, you know, at least as far as I'm concerned, I, I, I guess sort of the, the point was, the point I'm trying to make is that what she's talking about is the people that she's sort of surrounded with. And it was sort of interesting because I read another, or I read another book recently um, from the author of The Game and I can't remember what it was called. It was like the the solution or the power or some 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 nonsense. I started reading it. I was interested in it because it was talking about sex addiction. But it's pretty clear that this guy had like kind of created his own problem, right? So if you're not familiar with the game, the game was, you know, kind of like this message board for nerds on how to pick up chicks, right? And long story short, you know, if you can figure out a way 
to start talking to people and then have them recognize that you're an actual human being, you have an opportunity to, you know, take the relationship a little bit further. Um, he seemed to want to use that to have as much sex as possible, which is fine. You know, that's his thing, right? But what was funny about it was, as he was talking throughout the book, was that there was a lot of people that weren't like that. They, they used it to meet their wife. And now they have three children and they were thanking him for that. Meanwhile, you know, and, and I, I ended up stopping reading the book. And one of the, that's sort of why I'm talking about this. I don't have time in my life for shit that distracts me from the direction that I'm going, right? So this guy, you know, it was sort of interesting about sex addiction because, you know, in, in the way that they were trying to treat sex addiction, I probably would disagree with you know, the thought process there, but, you know, it was like complete abstinence for 90 days. And, you know, I mean, there was no masturbation and no, you know, like there was all, you know, um, you know, some of the objective, objectifying of women and stuff like that. I probably partially agree with, um, some of that. And when you listen to this guy talk, you know, he was sort of the stereotypical guy. And it was sort of funny because like, like Whitney Cummings was sort of talking about this guy, right? And I was thinking to myself, I don't know, you know, I know a lot of women like Whitney Cummings, but it's sort of funny to me that Whitney Cummings doesn't know a lot of dudes like me or a lot of dudes like Chris, you know what I mean? Or a lot of dudes that, you know, you know, lift weights and are strong and, and are comfortable around you know, strong-minded women. Um, and, you know, once again, she's a comedian. I'm not being critical. I think she's hilarious. I also think that, you know, she is awesome, you know, as it relates to being strong, having an opinion, and, and, you know, she's sort of, you know, known as like the super hard worker, within the comedic community. But the way that she was sort of painting guys, I was thinking to myself, that sounds like the guys you hang around. That doesn't sound like the guys I know, you know? Um, and I'm not saying that there aren't guys like that. There are guys like that, you know? And I don't hang around those dudes, right? Everybody I know is sort of like me, you know? And they tend to gravitate to strong you know, people with strong self-esteem and things of this nature. I think a lot of times when we're, you know, we're obviously, you know, a podcast talking about weightlifting. But we're really not talking about just weightlifting. We're talking about self-esteem. We're talking about feeling better about yourself. You know, we're we're talking about, you know, this a li living a life of abundance where, you know, doing things and being capable is important male or female. And when you do that, magically, you know, abundant people show up in your life. People that enjoy food, people that enjoy activity, people enjoy, you know, lots of different things. And so I think that, you know, my ultimate point is, is that if you 
put out a vibe and you continue to put out that vibe, the right people will show up, you know, and I want people to sort of keep that in mind, you know, um, and it comes down to your filter, you know, like she talked about dealing with, you know, broke guys, you know, um, and how, you know, she sort of liked dealing with broke guys. Well, I would argue that she doesn't have a great filter because when you're hanging around a bunch of people that aren't doing, you know, stuff that matters, you know, it will drag you down and it will give you a false impression on what the world is like. And so I think that, um, I would imagine it's frustrating. You know, I mean, I met my wife when I was 19 years old and we sort of grew together and that process was not linear by any stretch of the imagination. What's interesting about that is my dad, you know, my, you know, my dad wouldn't mind me saying this. In fact, I think that he would probably like me to say it just because, you know, it might help some people to not go through the struggles that he's gone through, but he's been divorced six times. And the thing that always strikes me is that at his age, you know, people kind of come to the table with more of who they are, you know, um, you could say baggage, but I don't, I don't really think it's baggage. I mean, because, you know, some people's baggage is nice. They're good people, right? You know, but it just sort of depends on how you're putting things out there. You know, most of my friends are like vice presidents of companies and, you know, lift weights or hedge fund managers. And, and you know, I think that they're attracted to me. I mean, I had a guy, you know, who's probably worth $200 million dollars. Say, who wish he could be me? I'm like, are you joking, dude? You know, I mean, you're like, you're like the 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 model of success for a lot of people. But what he was saying was that, you know, every day I wake up and I get to do what I do. You know, when you're like two hundred million dollar guy, you you got to keep that hamster wheel rolling. You know, and that gets a little tough. And so that's that's what he was describing. But I think that when you put out a vibe, you know, your type of people are attracted to you. You know. Um, any, any thoughts on that, Chris? I mean, cause you know, we should probably shut it down. You know, it's, it's, it's I'm sure if, if you even got to this point of the podcast, you know, thank you. But, um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry that this has gone long. Uh, I couldn't agree with that more. It, 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 you be what you are and you do what you do and you put out that vibe and people are going to gravitate to that. Like-minded people are going to gravitate to that. Um, so you're going to get what you put out. Um, get what you get kind of a thing. Um, I can't say it any better than you just did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, if you, if, you re if you need an example, all you got to do is look at Chris's wife. <laughs> you know, um, she is, you know, a a confident, you know, Minnesota gal. Um, I don't know. Is, is she originally from Minnesota? Yeah. 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 And so... Um, but you know, we're not saying that it's just Minnesota women or Midwest women or, or things of that nature. I think, I think in general though, you know, um, 
what is filling your cup? Are you living a life of abundance? Are you doing things that, you know, um, make you feel better about yourself? And then, you know, it's really difficult. You know, I mean, it's funny because my daughter, um, you know, ended up breaking up from a relationship. And, you know, she said, you know, something that I think we all should hear. And it, even though it kind of hurt her, you know, as a teenager, um, she was like, well, I'm going in a direction and they're going in another direction. And so, you know, it just wasn't a great fit anymore. And that's what life is. You know, you have to make the decisions to allow yourself not to be corrupted by the negativity, right? And when you can do that, you're essentially filtering out. Like, I think Whitney Cummings is a really strong person. She works really hard, things of this nature. But it sounded like her filter's not all that great, you know? And if you're making choices, you know, it's sort of like, what, what's the song? Is like, uh, um, you can't be with the one you you love love the one you're with you know if you love the one you're with too much the love the one you're with ends up being the one you love and you didn't really choose all that well you know and you know remember that right as we're sort of moving forward because we're not really just talking about fat loss right we're not really just talking about weightlifting we're talking about what it's like to live a life of abundance and to feel, you know, like you're moving progressively towards who you're supposed to be over time. So anyway, uh, we'll see how this goes. But first episode, Nose Torque, Nose Torque with Paul and Chris um, in the books. We're going to try and get a little bit more um, training talk. It's sort of interesting because we, we thought that these classes would be more... Um, you know, question and answer, and they haven't really turned into that. But I think, in general, the feedback that we're getting from these podcasts have been fairly positive. So, appreciate everybody being here. And Chris, enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk to you guys later. Later. <laughs>